Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, it's good to be with all of you. I am Pastor Mike Graham. If we haven't met, I'm in charge of like spiritual development and spiritual growth here at Bible Center, something I love. I love discipleship. I love the topic, and I love having opportunities to teach and talk to you about the beauty of God. So tonight, this is an opportunity to do that. Uh, We're going to be talking about heaven. This is our Renewed series, and in our Renewed series, we've been talking about the fact that one day Jesus will return. And when he returns, there's going to be just the reality that some will spend all of eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And there'll be those who have placed their faith in God that will spend their eternity in a place called heaven with God forever. Today, we get to talk about heaven and the reality of heaven. But before we jump in, I'd like to share a story with you. At first, it won't seem like it relates, but it will by the time we get to the end of it. A couple weekends ago, I, for the first time, went skiing. Uh, Before I went skiing, I watched a 20-minute video on how to ski, because that's all you really need to do, right, to learn how to ski. So I watched a 20-minute video on how to ski, and then I showed up there on Friday night, and my buddy Ryan Bandy, who's our high school pastor, takes me down to the ski lift. Uh, By the way, I fell down multiple times just putting my skis on, and even when I was going to the ski lift, I fell down on my way to the ski lift. So once I got on the ski lift and was taken up to the top of a hill, which I had no business being on, Ryan just kind of smiled at me and said, all right, now you have to go down the hill. So Pastor Mike spent the majority of the next 15 minutes just landing on one side, the other side just falling down the whole way down the hill. But about halfway through the night, I started to figure it out. I just go into this like wedge formation and just kind of coast down the hill. Halfway through the night, I was starting to feel good. My wife, my daughter, and I were going up a little incline. And right beside us was this four foot drop off right to the left. And out of nowhere, this guy just came flying down in front of us. He clearly had no idea what he was doing either. So he threw himself on the ground. And he just spun out in front of us to make sure he didn't go flying off this little cliff into the trees. So I'm not moving real fast because I'm going up the hill. So I'm going up the hill. And I look at him and I say, dude, nice stop. I mean, I was being serious because otherwise he was going to kill himself. So I go, dude, nice stop. And he goes, thanks, man. He goes, first time. I go, me too. So he then goes, dude, can you help me get up? Because he couldn't get up. So I reach over. I try to help the guy up. I get him about halfway up. He lets go of my arm and he falls back down. Now, I had watched a video on how to get up. So I went ahead and just threw myself on the ground too to say, hey, this is how you get up. So I threw myself on the ground. And for some reason, even though I had gotten up multiple times, this time I couldn't get up. So now you've got this dude laying on the ground. And then this other dude who just threw himself on the ground, who's also stuck on the ground. Have you ever seen two upside down turtles trying to help each other? I mean, that's what it felt like. So I'm laying on the ground. I can't get up. He can't get up. My wife is shaking her head. She knew that wasn't going to work. My daughter's like, I'm out of here. You're embarrassing. And she left. So I finally get myself halfway up or I get my weight onto my skis, not really realizing that I was now perpendicular to the little cliff behind me. So being perpendicular and that's downhill, I obviously fell backwards and went all the way down to the bottom to the base of the trees. So I'm now laying at the bottom of the four foot uh, cliff. My wife, as I'm falling, because I'm falling backwards, she's going, honey, honey. And the guy's going, dude, dude, doesn't slow me down. I hit the bottom. But I had watched a video. And the video said the way you get up from that position, you take tiny little steps sideways. So I get up, and I go tiny little steps sideways all the way up. 
At this point, the dude is gone. Only my wife is there. She's the only one patient enough to wait for me. I get to the top and I take my one ski and I turn it sideways and I put it on the snow. I pick up my next ski. And again, I'm perpendicular to the hill. All my weights are my skis. And I go flying backwards again off the exact same cliff. This time, both skis go flying in both directions. And I spend quite a bit of time at the bottom just laughing because it is so funny. At that point, I give up. I'm like, I'm just going to go through the trees. I'll meet you somewhere else. And I saw her on the other side. Tonight, just like trying to watch a video on skiing doesn't make you a skier, we're going to spend time in God's word and read about heaven. But I've never been there. You've never been there. This is a discussion between two upside-down turtles tonight. But we're going to do our best. When God speaks, he speaks with truth, and he speaks with clarity about heaven. But what is actually going to feel like, you and I aren't going to know until we see him face to face. So tonight, in humility, we talk about heaven. Uh, as we talk about heaven, this is where we're going to land. This is what I want to stick out to you. In heaven, we will be with God and one another on an unending journey of increasing joy. To get there, we're going to answer a couple of questions. Number one, who is going to be in heaven? Who will be there? Second question, when do we go? Third question, what will it be like? And finally, what does it matter? How does the reality of heaven affect me today? So first question, who will be there? The answer is everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Philippians 3.20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven. And the hour is referring to people who have believed. People who have looked at Jesus, realized that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and placed their faith in him as Savior and Lord. Everyone who has made that decision, who has believed their citizenship is in heaven. Not that they will one day have citizenship in heaven, but the moment you believe, in that moment, your citizenship has changed from wherever it was to heaven. It's not one day you'll have citizenship. You have citizenship now. I hope you love the country you live in. But it is nothing compared to your citizenship in heaven. If you're sitting there right now and you're wondering, have I believed? Am I one of those who will be in heaven? I strongly encourage you to think through your life. Is there a point where you've placed your faith in Jesus as the savior of your life, the one who has saved you from your sins and the one who is Lord over all things? If you can't think of a time where you've done that, I encourage you to look on the screen and you're gonna see a number for Pastor Matt Garrison. He would love to talk with you through the concept of placing your faith in Jesus. All you have to do if you'd like is even right now, just stop what you're doing. Stop listening to anything else I have to say. Take a moment and talk to Jesus. If you're ready, let him know you're ready to place your faith in him as your Savior and your Lord. And if you believe in him, then your citizenship starting right now is in heaven. So everyone who believes will be in heaven. Also, everyone who has ever believed. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, Elijah, all our heroes, are they in heaven? How do they get to go to heaven? Was it because they did animal sacrifices? Was it because they obeyed the law? Was it because of good works? I want you to go through a couple of verses with me from Galatians chapter 3. It says this in verse 6, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it 
that is the belief, was credited to him as righteousness or a right standing before God. Abraham believed and he had a right standing before God. It doesn't say Abraham sacrificed animals or worked really hard or obeyed the law. It says that he believed. So let's talk about the nature of the belief. It says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Abraham believed just like we believe. So what is it exactly that he believed? Check out the next verse. It says, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Catch what it just said. It says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. Well, what did it sound like? What was the content of this gospel? Saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So before Jesus came, the gospel was consistently preached throughout the entirety of the Old Testament through promises and covenants. And here's one of them. In Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, through you, Abraham, one is coming. It's referring to a future Messiah whose name will be Jesus, that all the nations will be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So another way of understanding this would be this right here. So say that that's the hill of Calvary where Jesus died on the cross. Everyone who came after Jesus, they are to look back on Jesus and believe in who he is and what he's accomplished. And they are saved by faith. The blood of Christ runs forward in time and cleanses them of all their sin. Now, those who came before Jesus they look forward to a coming Messiah. They didn't know his name. They didn't know when he was come. They didn't know lots about him. But whatever God had promised concerning the coming Messiah, what he had promised about how he would one day bless the nations, that's the gospel in the Old Testament. And when they believed, not only did the blood of Christ run forward in time, the blood of Christ ran backwards in time and saved and forgave those who believed from the Old Testament. So you're saved by faith in the New Testament. You're saved by faith in the Old Testament. Faith in Jesus who is coming, and then faith by the Jesus who has come. So together we are one body. Jesus will one day say to all who have ever believed, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Next question, when do we go to heaven? The answer is immediately in the spirit, immediately in the spirit. Let's unpack that a little bit. In Luke chapter 23, verses 42 through 43, the thief on the cross is saying to Jesus, who's on the cross right beside him, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And then Jesus says to him, I truly say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. So immediately, right after death, the thief is with Jesus in paradise. Now, there's been a couple weird teachings about what happens to us after we die. I want to cover those real quick. One is the concept or the concept of soul sleep. Some have suggested that your soul kind of hibernates or goes dormant until Jesus comes back. There is there is no biblical basis for this position. 
Why? Here's a couple examples why. On the Mount of Transfiguration, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus shows the disciples all of his glory. And when he does that, two people show up. Elijah and Moses show up on the scene and have a conversation with Jesus. I mean, what did that look like? I have no idea. But what we learn from that is Elijah and Moses, they're not laying dormant somewhere. They're not waiting for Jesus to come back. They are active. They are present. Uh, They are fully awake. In 1 Thessalonians 4.14, it says, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. So those who have passed away, when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So those aren't souls that are sleeping. Those aren't souls that are hibernating. Those are souls who are in the presence of Jesus and will come with Jesus when Jesus returns. Another thing that you've probably heard of is the concept of purgatory. So it has Catholic roots in it, uh, but purgatory is also something that we would say is inconsistent with Scripture. Purgatory is this concept that after we die, we go to, we basically take a detour to like a waiting station. The idea is that some of your sins have been covered, but not all of your sins. Therefore, you have to go to this place where some of your sins have to be burned off. And then eventually, you can make your rest of your way to heaven itself. This type of thinking is very inconsistent with the gospel that we read about throughout Scripture. The gospel is very clear. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus accomplished everything he intended to accomplish when he died on that cross. The Bible says when you place your faith in him, you are fully and completely forgiven. Ephesians chapter 1 says that you are holy and blameless in Jesus. You are justified, you are adopted, you are righteous in Jesus. So if you've placed your faith in him, there's no remaining sin to be burned off. Purgatory isn't necessary. There's no need because in Jesus it has been completed and it has been finished. Also, in the Spirit. What do I mean by that? 2 Corinthians 5, 8 says this, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So when we die, our body and our spirit are separated. Our body remains here, and our spirit goes to be at home with the Lord. I just I love the word home. If you think this is your home, it's not. It's when your body finally dies, you get to go home. And it goes home to be with the Lord. I lost my mother about five years ago to cancer. And she was with my father when she passed. And she said to him right before she passed, I can't wait to meet my new family in very weak, small words. And then her spirit left her body to be with Jesus at home with him forever. So her cancer-ridden body is in the ground, but her spirit is fully awake, maybe more awake than ever before, in the presence of Jesus. So we will be with the Lord immediately in the spirit when we die. What will heaven be like? Oh, it's gonna be hard to do justice to this here, but I'm gonna try. What will heaven be like? Number one, We will be with Jesus in all of his glory. You and I will be with Jesus in all of his glory. Revelation 21, three through four says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, 
Notice the exclamation mark. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Do you notice how many times it's repeated? God is no longer feeling distant. It's not God is in heaven and you're here and you're trying to love him and you have the Holy Spirit, but it feels like you're still distant from him. That's gone. It says that you will be with God. He will be with you. He says, you are my people. And you look at me and say, you are my God. And you're together with him forever. You will be with God. And while you're with God, it says he's going to do this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's activity between you and the Lord. When you're in his presence, he's actively interacting with you. And he's doing things like this. He's looking at you and saying, my child, I'm going to take that tear from you. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Pain. Two weeks ago, I took this dumb finger and I stuck it into some gears and some of my exercise equipment. And I ground it up pretty good. This was painful. In heaven, either I'm smart enough to know not to stick my finger into gears or it just doesn't hurt. One or the other. There's no pain. But there's a lot more to it than just this kind of pain. There's relational pain. There's emotional pain. There's psychological pain. And you bear it and you carry it every single day day of your life. Some of you, as you get older, our bodies decay and we lose them eventually. You might wake up every day with incredible pain. I remember my grandmother, she woke up, she would just, she'd walk at a 90 degree angle. Her back was so bad, she could not stand up straight for the last five years of her life. Every single day, blistering arthritis, incredible pain. That might be how your life ends for the last couple years of your life. It might be the way mine does. Pain is a part of life. But when it comes to pain and how you and I deal with it, sometimes we push it down. Sometimes we ignore it. Sometimes we distract ourselves from our pain. But rarely do we deal with our pain and we can't make it go away. We can't just make it go away. The scars remain. But when you're in heaven, when you're interacting with Jesus, Jesus comes up to you and he takes it away. The pain's gone. You've been pushing it down. He says, child, don't push it down. Give it to me. It's mine. I'm taking it away. It's gone. So the stuff in your life that still bothers you, the stuff that still haunts you, the thoughts that run through your mind, the words that people have said to you that echo around in your body that cause pain and stress and hurt, Jesus takes all of it away. 22.3 says this, describing heaven. The Lamb is Jesus. The lamb shall be in it. He's there with us. And his servants, you and me, shall worship him. And the next verse says this. And they will see his face. If you love Jesus, if you've loved Jesus for years, for a period of time, this verse, it should get you up in the morning. It'll get you through hardship. It'll get you through pain. It'll get you through broken relationships because you know one day, the one that you love more than any other, the one that you seek every day of your life, you get to see him face to face, face to face. He will look on your face 
and you will look back on him and see his face. This is kind of a strange question, but I've thought of this, so I'm going to assume I'm not the only one. Now, that sounds amazing, but after that incredible vision where you see Jesus and you're with him and you worship him and you do it for a thousand years, is there a point where you're kind of like, I'm ready to do something else? Does, does heaven get boring? Does heaven get boring? That's a real question. Maybe I'm the only one that has asked that question, but the Bible speaks to this. As we go to heaven, we are changed. We're not the same. You have so many limitations because of the brokenness of your body, the brokenness of your mind, of your heart, of your emotions. You and I have very limited capacities. When we go to heaven, let me take this as an example. This little thing here is our communion cup. We are stuck with this thing because of COVID. In your life, your capacity for joy right now, let's say it's only this big. This is your capacity. The best day of your life, the best moment of your life, this is as much joy as you can possibly experience because this is all the capacity you have. And because you're in a broken world with a broken life and broken relationships, even if you completely fill your little cup of joy, the next moment it can be gone. In heaven, you're given increased capacity for joy. It starts looking like this. So the amount of joy you can experience here is so incredibly limited, but the amount of joy that you can experience there is almost unlimited. Your capacity emotionally, physically, spiritually to experience joy is increased in heaven because of the fact that you're remade, you're renewed, and in your new self, your capacity has increased from this to this. But not only does God give you increased capacity, God also gives you increased joy. In 1 Peter, these are interesting verses, and I'm getting some of this from these verses. In 1 Peter 1.12 and Luke 15, 7 and 10, it talks about angels, and angels live in the presence of God all the time. Angels are spiritual beings, and these verses tell us a couple things. One, 1 Peter tells us that the angels long to look into God's redemptive plans, like how the redemptive plan worked out from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Angels long to look into those things and to know those things and to understand those things, which means angels increase in knowledge over time. These verses talk about the fact that when someone comes to know Jesus, the angels celebrate. The angels experience an increase of joy. So these beings that will list that will live forever in the presence of God are still growing in knowledge and they're increasing in joy. There is no reason to believe that that will not also be true of us for all of eternity. So not only does God give you a bigger cup, God fills that cup with joy. Wayne Grudem says this, we are finite creatures who will never equal God's knowledge or be omniscient, which means all-knowing. We may expect that for all of eternity, we'll be able to go on learning more and more and more about God. He is infinite and we are, even in heaven, finite. So heaven is not this incredible vision of Jesus and then boredom or some endless state. It's different than that. We don't enter some timeless state, but rather we enter into this eternal succession of moments. 
in Revelation chapter 22, 22 verse 2, it talks about and it references the tree of life. And in that verse, it says that the tree of life will be yielding different kinds of fruit every single month. What an interesting verse. The tree of life through eternity will be yielding different kinds of fruit. What that tells us is that even in eternity, time continues. There's successions of moments. There's change. We receive eternal life, but that does not mean that we receive God's omniscience. We don't become all-knowing when we go to heaven. We don't become omnipresent when we go to heaven. God's everywhere all the time. That's not what happens to us in heaven. Also, we do not receive his eternal perspective. God sees all things fully, vividly, through all of eternity at the same time, all the time. When you go to heaven, you don't get that vision or that view. Only God does. Every new moment in heaven is a greater discovery. Every new moment in heaven is a greater display of God's goodness and God's grace. A guy named Sam Storm says it this way, heaven is characterized by the increase of joy. Heaven is not simply about the reality or experience of joy, but it's eternal increase. The blessedness of the beauty of heaven is progressive, incremental, and incessantly expansive. So your joy is increasing and increasing and increasing and expanding and expanding throughout all of eternity. The finite explores the infinite forever. Let that sink in for a second. The finite, the finite explores the infinite forever. It's like a person sitting on the edge of the Pacific Ocean. It would feel like eternity to explore every part of that ocean. But every time you explore it more, you know it more. And you go deeper into it. The finite explores the infinite forever. And increased knowledge in him will increase joy in us. Increased knowledge in God, who is the most beautiful of all beings, will increase our joy in him. There's never a final arrival of joy or some ultimate experience. There's an eternal progression of growth forever. We never crest a peak without also finding another peak to climb, to go even higher in our knowledge of God and seeing a greater display of his goodness, grace, and glory. John Piper says it this way, with that unending and ever-increasing display that is of God's goodness and grace will come an unending and ever-increasing discovery on our part of more of the depths and the greatness of God's grace. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 1611, in your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for ever more, forever and ever and ever more. So how does the reality of heaven impact us today? I would suggest this. It gives us a longing for our forever home, and it provides us with comfort and hope for today. It gives us a longing for our forever home, and it provides comfort for us and hope for today. There's a guy named Richard Baxter. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the name. He's, he's from the 1600s, from a long time ago. Uh, but he's a guy who was a godly Puritan pastor. He was known for being stout and strong spiritually, but very weak and sickly physically. 
He's a guy who served in the army and there was a period of time when he was serving in the army where he had lost a ton of blood from a wound. And he thought that maybe his life wasn't gonna go on much longer. And even at that young age, he decided that he was gonna pen a book. It was, it's now called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. But in that book, he just spends time musing on heaven. What will it be like to be there rather than here? And he spends six to 700 pages just thinking about it and thinking through it. And he left this incredible book for us. So if that's a book that you'd ever wanna check out, it's called The Saint's Everlasting Rest by Richard Baxter. But he is described by the biographer this way. There was no man in whom there appears to have been so little of earth and so much of heaven. Don't you want someone to describe you that way? There was no man in whom there was, appears to have been so little of earth. Why? Because there was just so much of heaven that earth just didn't fit. Another description was this. He felt scarcely of any attraction of this world, but felt and manifested the most powerful affinity for the world to come. He was obsessed with heaven. He was passionate about heaven. The man made it through losing blood, being in wars, being weak and sickly through most of his life by musing on the reality of being with God forever in heaven. So when it comes to this longing, 2 Corinthians 5.2 says this, for indeed in this house, in this body, in this situation that we're in, we groan, we groan, longing, desiring to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. So it's normal for the Christian to look around and just say, I just don't fit here. Things are wrong. It feels broken. Everything feels off. Why? Because it is. And therefore groaning kicks in and this longing just begins to arise in our heart to want to be at home with Jesus. Hebrews 11.10 says this, for Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Abram, someone who spoke to God while he lived on earth. God came down and gave him promises and made him the patriarch of the Israel people. But Abraham wasn't excited about the land flowing with milk and honey. His greatest desire was to be at the place where the, where the foundations were built by God, whose architect was God, whose builder was God, because he knew there he would be with God himself. So even Old Testament saints long for the day when they would be in heaven with the Lord. Jesus, in John chapter 13, has some hard conversations with his disciples. He lets them know, I'm only going to be with you for a little bit longer. I'm actually going to be going back to my father. The disciples are realizing what he's saying. These disciples have put down their nets to follow Jesus. They've said no to their careers. They've said no to their families. And they've walked away from everything they knew to follow Jesus and Jesus alone. They had nothing but him. And then Jesus looks at them and says, by the way, I'm leaving. I'm going. What do you suppose it felt like to be those disciples? Sadness, grief, confusion, anxiety, feelings of being overwhelmed, lost, confused, hurt, broken. Can you relate to any of those feelings? Many of the feelings that we've been feeling in the last year are feelings that they went through in the moment where they thought they were going to lose everything. Jesus, knowing their hearts, knowing where they're at, he speaks to their anxiety. He speaks to where they're hurting the most. And he says this, 
do not let your hearts be troubled because he knew that they were. But he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be there with me. You also may be where I am. So how does Jesus help the disciples battle being overwhelmed by being lost, confused, hurt, anxious, filled with stress, grieving loss? He says, this is how you deal with this. Remember, keep it in the front of your minds. Always be thinking about the reality that one day, I'm coming back for you. And when I come back for you, I'm going to take you to be with me and go there and we will be there forever. Jesus's answer to his anxious and fearful disciples is this, I'm making a place for you and I will return and take you there to be with me forever. The face-to-face relationship with Jesus gets us through our hardest moments. There's a good chance that many of you who are watching Some of you are watching because you still feel overwhelmed with the idea of going outside of your home, and I totally get it. Whether you're at home or you're here, the reality of heaven, the reality of the return of Christ, the fact that you will be with him forever if you've placed your faith with him, gets you through the fear. It gets you through those hard moments. So Jesus' words to them are Jesus' words to you. I want you to be able to live a life with a hope that no one and nothing can take away from you. The only hope that can, you can hold on to through all of the struggle is the hope that Jesus is coming back to bring you to be with him forever. So I want you to long for that moment. I want there to be groaning as you look around and see how broken society is, how broken your relationships are, how broken you are. And in those moments, look up. Remember that Jesus is coming and he's going to take you to be with him forever on a journey of ever-increasing, unending joy. Final thoughts. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet, or you don't know where you stand spiritually, there is no other question that matters. I want you to get right with God today. Right now, if you don't know Jesus, you could get down on your knees, sit down on your couch, grab one hand with the other, and talk to him. He hears everything you say, and you could tell him, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to place my faith in you. Only you can save me. Jesus, I want to spend all of eternity with you. You are my Lord. You are my Savior. Save me today. And with a prayer that sounds anything like that, where you're giving your heart, your life to him, you spend all of eternity, and one day he's coming to bring you home. If you make that decision, I want to know about it because I want to help you grow in your faith. So contact us on the website, contact Matt Garrison, and we want to help you start that relationship with Jesus and then grow in that relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, figure out a way, find a rhythm where you frequently muse of heaven, where you think of the day when he comes back and you get to be with him forever. For in heaven, we will be with God and one another on an unending journey of ever-increasing joy. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person 
for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.